sorry, I didn't realize that my caller was so messed up during the announcements. Mike on the bass, he pointed my attention to it, and so now you don't have to stare at that the whole time. So everyone say thank you, Mike. Um, Awesome. Uh, we are finishing in Psalms today. We, we did a short summer series in Psalms. The last one we're looking at, that we're looking at today, is Psalm 107. So if you have your Bible, uh, that's where we'll be. You can turn there, and uh, if you don't, or you prefer to just look at the screen, be up on the screen as well. Uh, whenever I spend time in the Psalms, I just appreciate them more and more. Uh, my favorite preacher ever, a guy named <coughs> Charles Spurgeon, uh, who was, uh, he had a ministry in London, he was an abolitionist, he wrote like 300 books, some crazy number, and uh, he wrote a commentary on the book of Psalms that he called the Treasury of David, that although David was the king in Israel, like his true riches is found in the Psalms that he wrote. Uh, John Calvin, the reformer from 500 years ago, who wrote Institutions of the Christian Religion, very influential book, really great to read even today if you can muscle your way through it, because it's really long. Um, he called the Psalms an anatomy of the human soul, uh, an anatomy of all parts of the human soul, because the full range of human emotion is found in the Psalms, and that's what we've seen. We've seen, uh, you know, the, the highs and the lows. We've seen uh, fear and doubt and hope and beauty and all kinds of range of emotion expressed in the Psalms. For the end of our series, I, I thought we'd end on as high a note as we could make it. And so that's what Psalm 107 is. It's a psalm of worship and praise and gratitude and, and really sort of triumph. And so here we go. Psalm 107, verse 1 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, in all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of really good stuff. But before we get into it, I want to talk about a uh, time in Jesus' ministry when he is asked uh, by someone what it, the greatest commandment is. Um, and the question is kind of meant to be a trap. Like of all of God's commands in the law in the Old Testament, which is the most important one? There's 613 individual ones. And it's asked to kind of pick on him no matter what, so that if he says, you know, it's uh, you shall not kill, they'll be like, oh, what, you don't think honoring your mother and father is important? Wow, interesting, Jesus. Uh, just stuff like that. You know, they're just going to pick on him no matter what and try and paint him as, uh, you know, inexperienced and, and naive and not as knowledgeable and uh, mature as these more established rabbis. And uh, anyways, Jesus answers the question, and he says, the most important is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the rest of the commands, the 611 other ones, they all depend on these two. Meaning, if you get this, if you get love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you get love your neighbor as yourself, you're naturally going to do every other requirement that's given in the law. You're not gonna lie, you're not gonna steal, you're not gonna kill, you're not gonna worship idols. Um, now, I can see how looking at those two commands, um, it might seem a little strange. Like you can kind of see that how that makes sense and how that's good, but it might feel a little strange um, because I think most of us recognize you can't force feelings. 
You know, like if you, uh, if a child does something wrong and you make them apologize, you can make them say the words, but they might tell you in their tone that they're, they don't mean it at all and they're not happy about having to repeat the words. Like you can make them say the words, but you can't make them feel remorse. Um, the problem that you might have when you come to these commands and, and your way of even just thinking about them, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love my neighbor as myself, is you might think of love primarily as a feeling. Feelings of affection and warmth and closeness and fondness, just positive feelings towards someone. Uh, the problem with that is the Bible's concept of love is not primarily a feeling. There are feelings involved but the Bible's concept of love is primarily a decision. You can love someone even when you don't like them by doing loving acts towards them and not doing unlo unloving acts towards them. Uh, so even if you're mad at them, even if you're, you, you just can't stand them at all, you can still be patient, you can still show grace, you can still give the benefit of the doubt, you can still forgive, you can still serve, you can do all, you can make a decision to do all those things even if you're not feeling particularly good about that person. And if you do them, you can't say that you don't love that person. You showed that you do. Stick in any human relationship long enough and like this is always gonna come up. Uh, you, you're not, the feelings are not always going to be a constant. You, you, as a kid, you don't always like your parents, especially when they say something that you don't wanna hear. Uh, my, my little daughter, Amelia, three years old, this past week, she just started, it's a new thing for her, she started saying, I don't like you, Daddy, which is fine, you know. She, she knew I'd be preaching this, and she wanted to prepare me for it, get me in the right headspace, and so I'm there now. Um, you know, I don't think that means that she doesn't love me, but yeah, for, for sure, she doesn't like me sometimes. And you know what? Parents don't always like their kids. I do, but, you know. Uh, friendships, friends have bumps in the road, marriages have bumps in the road, not mine, you know, Megan is wonderful. Um, the feelings are not always going to be constant, always at the very same level of, of affection and warmth and fondness and closeness and all of those things. Uh, what can be a constant, you can always make the decision to act in a loving way towards someone. You're able to do that. And here's the thing, the more loving you act towards someone, the more likely those feelings are to follow and to come back and to grow stronger. The more unloving you act, uh, the more likely those feelings are to grow weaker and weaker. Um, because, you know, apart from anything else, if you're acting unloving towards someone just because you don't feel like loving them, they're going to start feeling more and more justified to act unloving towards you. And you end up in like this kind of standoff where you're each waiting for the other person to go like, okay, I was wrong, I'm sorry, can we fix this? Um, and this is kind of what we see in Psalm 107. Not the standoff, like we need to fix this, but with what David is doing, this is a psalm of, of praise and worship, uh, that's clear, and, and we see David kind of swimming in these feelings of affection and warmth towards God, but we also see him being very clear about making the decision, where he says, bless the Lord, my soul, right? All that's within me, bless the Lord, like speaking to himself, like, hey, come on, like, this is something that we have to do, almost like he's giving himself a, like, a pep talk and working himself up to awaken his feelings, 
he wants his soul to bless the Lord. It's, it's a decision he's making that this is an important thing to me, and I'm going to make sure that I get myself to a place where I can bless the Lord from my soul. And maybe it's starting to sound like a moot point, like you've, you, you got it, you're there, like I get it, love is a decision, you're ready to move on. But I'm not ready to move on yet, and I'm the one who has a microphone, so you're going to sit there for a little bit longer while I talk about this. Because this is something that I see. This is, uh, I see like guys and girls who get super passionate about their faith and they, they love Jesus so much. They're full of zeal. They're full of excitement and it's great. And over time, what happens is those feelings start to, um, to, to mellow out a little bit. Uh, and, and I just, like, that's okay. There's, there's a season where y- you might be closer and more excited in, in a season where, it, you know, it's not like a blazing fire. Uh, it's more like a fire in the hearth, but, but y- you know, you still have your feelings of affection and warmth towards God. Um, you know, there might be seasons where you feel really distant, and I, I just want to be encouraging that like just because your feelings are not where they once were, it doesn't mean that you're, you're a bad Christian or you're not a Christian anymore uh, and you know, start having a crisis of faith because even when those feelings are more distant and maybe because you're going through something, you can still be making the decision, I'm, I'm still gonna love God. Like, bless the Lord, my soul. Come on, let's do this. Uh, let's love God together. Let's seek God together. Let's, let's worship God together. Uh, feelings are good thermometers, but they're bad thermostats. Have you ever heard someone say that? Like, feelings are a helpful indicator. They can give you helpful information. They can tell you, you know, how you are and how things are and, and maybe let you know if something's wrong or if something's going really well. Um, feelings are not good at determining your course of actions and, and helping you uh, navigate your life wisely and in a godly manner. Because if you think about it, like if you only act loving when you feel like acting loving, you're going to act unloving kind of a lot, <laughs> you know? Or if you only ever help other people when you're feeling really humble, you're going to act selfish a lot and you're just not gonna do so many of the things that you could be doing, so many of the loving things that you could be doing if you're just waiting for your feelings to get there before you do it. Now, David, uh, how David goes about this, where he's trying to get himself in the right place to, uh, to just overflow in this worship and love for God. Uh, you see it, bless the Lord, O my soul, what helps him? Forget not all his benefits. He starts thinking about what what has God done for me? What are all the amazing things that God has done for me? And he starts listing them. He forgives your iniquity, heals you, he redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good. So much. We receive so many good things, so many blessings from him. And you could kind of miss them. I mean, so like even if you're visiting today and, and you're not a Christian and you're exploring your faith and you're exploring who God is and you haven't made any decisions yet, that's fine. You know, really glad that you're here and that you are exploring. But like even, even if you've not made that decision yet and, and entered into like this real close relationship with God, you still receive so many blessings and good things from him. Uh, 
you know, God is the creator, is the author of life, so he made you, he gave you your life. He made the world that he put you in, in all its beauty and all its goodness, everything that you appreciate about this world, its source is from God, who's the creator, and, and everyone that you love, everyone that you, you care about, right? He's the author of life. He created them too, and he put them around you, put them in your life. Every peaceful moment you've ever enjoyed, every event that you found worthy of celebration, all those are gifts from him because he's the creator, because he's the creator of the universe. He's king over all. He's the source of it all. And then more than that, more than just the, the general good things that you have in your life because, you know, he's, he's made you and he's put you here, within the, the special relationship you enter into with God through faith, you get so much more. You get the forgiveness and the healing and the redemption and this love. God, you know, if, if love is primarily a decision, God makes the decision as easy as he could possibly make it to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, he shows you. He's worthy of that. But I do want to draw your attention, because I think this is important. Um, David is also making an intentional decision about looking at and highlighting the benefits and the blessings and the gifts that he's receiving from God. Uh, He's not taking them for granted or treating them as things that you know, are, are owed to him, and of course I have these things, and um, this could be something for you, and especially if you're not in that decision point yet. Uh, for many people, this is one of the biggest obstacles in any potential relationship with God, and any potential faith you might have, and it's just the, the way that you choose to look at the world and to look at your life, where Here's something people do. People will choose to give themselves credit for everything good in their lives and give God the blame for everything that goes wrong. Uh, And so, like, if everything is good in your life, you have the feeling, like, I I worked really hard for this to get to where I am. I did so much. I did this. I did that. I made the right choices. I've been a pretty good person, and I just feel like I'm being rewarded for all those things. And you start feeling like, you know, you're responsible for the goodness that you're experiencing in your life. And then when things go wrong, you start thinking, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let that happen? Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do that? I just want to warn you, because it's, it's easier to see the bad than it is to see the good. And it's easy to discount the good. And uh, it's, it's easy to ignore any personal responsibility you might have for, you know, anything uh, le- less than, um, you know, less than pleasant that you're experiencing in your life. Not that you're responsible for everything, but, you know, if, if you want to see yourself as a victim and it makes you feel good because you feel vindicated that, you know, the world's not fair, the world's against me, uh, and you just kind of blame all your problems on, on something else, it's easy for you to perceive the world that way if that's what you want to do. Um, it'll make it harder for you to see or appreciate any of your blessings, 
and it will keep you miserable for much longer than you would otherwise be. I mean, if you know anything about David's life, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good, but David has a lot of misery in his life as well. Like, his kids are a mess. They're killing each other. They're assaulting each other. They mount a rebellion against him and want to kill him. Uh, And some of that is a result of his own failures and sins. Uh, But he doesn't, by any means have, you know, the easiest life, and so if he wanted to pick out things to complain about, he could, but what does he do instead? He looks and he goes, man, look at all these good things I get from God. Like he's, he's choosing to acknowledge and, uh, and appreciate the blessings, the good gifts that God has given him in his life. And actually, the verses here, this is kind of like a table of contents for the rest of the sermon. Uh, it's like the, uh, the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm is continuing you know, forget not all his benefits to me. And so continuing on in that, verse six says this, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So one of the benefits we receive from God, one of the great things about who he is, that he's a God of justice. Being a God of justice, he cares about people who are mistreated and oppressed and taken advantage of because they have no power, they have no uh, no ability to really, you know, stand up for themselves. Um, and it's not just, you know, certain people that he cares about justice when it comes to them. He cares about justice for everyone. And the example David uses in the psalm is the people of Israel and from the time of their captivity and their slavery in Egypt. And if you go back to Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, we get to see some of God's perspective on the things that are happening. We read this, speaking to Moses from the burning bush, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Now God's not distant or disinterested when people are suffering. He's near to them. He cares for them. His plan to rescue this broken world from suffering within that plan, he never forgets about the people who are suffering on the receiving end of injustice. And it's not just his own people. I mean, I know you could say like, well, that's Israel. Those are the people that he chose and that's his his own people, so he cares about them, but, you know, what about Israel? What about when they uh, become a nation and they start, you know, committing their own acts of injustice? Does God care about the victims in, in those, uh, those cases? Yeah, he does. That's the whole work of the prophets. The whole work of the prophets is God sending his prophets to his people to tell them, you need to change, you need to fix this, you need to do that, or I'm coming for you. Amos is, uh, is, is one of my favorites with this. And so uh, Amos is sent to the nation of Israel. It's after Israel and Judah are, are split apart as kingdoms. And uh, Amos begins his ministry to Israel by uh, kind of listing out all the neighboring peoples around them. So uh, Gaza, Damascus, Tyre, Edom, the Ammonites, everyone around them. And the prophet Amos is saying, you know, well, here's the injustice that they did, here's the injustice that they did, here's the injustice that they did, and God is going to punish them. And Israel is eating it up because they don't like their neighbors, and they're going, yeah, those are acts of injustice, and they should be punished for that. Uh, And then in chapter two, Amos says this, 
Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Amos is really clever. There's God speaking through Amos. God is really clever. Um, because he gets the people of Israel to listen to what he's saying and agree with every part of it. Like, yeah, you know what? This is injustice. Yeah, injustice should be punished by God. They're agreeing with it so easily because he's talking about all their enemies who they don't like. But then Amos turns it on them and goes, well, actually, you're guilty of injustice too. You're selling the righteous for for silver, you're trampling the heads of the poor into the dust, turning aside the way of the afflicted. You don't care about justice for them. And Amos says, God isn't going to let that go. Like, this, this matters to God because he cares about justice. He cares about all of the, the oppressed and the mistreated and the taken advantage of and the abused. Full of compassion. Like for for everyone, even, you know, maybe some of you here today, if you've been a victim of oppression or mistreatment or injustice of some kind, you can be, um, you can be encouraged to know that, that God knows about that and he cares about that. What you've had to suffer, that matters to him and it matters to him so much, he's not just going to let that go. There's a day of judgment when God is going to make each person give an account for their lives and he's going to make sure that justice is perfectly done and and we can trust him with that. That can help us have peace in in our lives here now knowing that God is not going to let any injustice go unanswered. Um, it, It gives us peace because it means it's not up to you and me to make sure that justice is done. And like, as far as we have justice systems, and they do help with that, and, and it's great, you know, insofar as they do, but the systems aren't perfect, and injustice does happen, and people do, you know, get away with it. Um, but we know that it's not up to you and me to make sure the people pay. We know that's something that God is going to do because he's a God of justice. That's why God says, don't take revenge, don't take matters into your own hands, for vengeance is mine, I will repay. Moving on, here's, uh, here's what David says next in verse 8. More benefits, more of the worthiness of God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He's merciful and gracious. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities, which is great. But it's kind of amazing that David is going to point at God's mercy directly after pointing at God's justice. Because if you look at this, like this actually sounds a whole lot like injustice. Like it's great for you when it's your sin, but it's not great if it's the person who just like did all these terrible things to you. 
um, I mean, let's just say that, you know, you, uh, you left here today and you're walking the streets of Morristown or wherever you walk and someone came up to you and they spit in your face and they stole your wallet and then they kicked you down. That would be bad, right? Pretty terrible day. The person gets caught, they're arrested, put on trial, trial finishes, judge says, you're absolutely guilty, I know you are. It was a horrible thing that you did. But I'm gonna have mercy. I'm gonna let you go. I'm not gonna deal with you according to your guilt and he lets them walk free. It's not gonna feel great for you because you're gonna look at that and go, well, that's injustice. You know that essentially what the judge is saying to you is the stuff that happened to you doesn't matter that much. It's not that big a deal. You just need to get over it. And, and that feels wrong to you because you know, no, that, that was wrong. There's something needs to be paid to make that right. They shouldn't just get to go free. How can he be a God of justice and a God of mercy? For David, as he's writing this psalm, the answer is the, the sacrificial system that God gives to Israel where an offering could be made for the forgiveness of sin, but there had to be blood. And the reason God gave this system to the people of Israel is to make them understand the seriousness of their sin. That it's a big deal. It's not a light matter. There's a cost that needs to be paid for the forgiveness of sins, and it's a steep cost. Leviticus, in, uh, in going over the, the, the Levitical law that sort of governs uh, all of temple worship, including the sacrificial system, in Leviticus, in chapter 17, uh, God speaks and says this, for, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it uh, for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Romans 3, the wages of sin is death. If there's sin, the cost to be paid for that debt of sin is death. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's a cost attached to forgiveness that has to be paid. It can't be unpaid. If it's unpaid, it's injustice. And yet, God wants to provide a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to him because he loves us. We just can't afford to pay it ourselves. The, the sacrificial system was imperfect because you could make the offering, but you sin again, you have to make an offering again, and you sin again, you have to make an offering again, you have to keep doing that. It kind of hangs over your head like this cloud that I'm never gonna not need this offering. It's not until Jesus that we get to see God's perfect plan for forgiveness. Or Hebrews 10 says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We can't afford to pay the cost, but Jesus can, because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is sinless and perfectly righteous, and his blood has the power to make payment for the debt of sin that, that you and me and all of us that we owe. And as the perfect sacrifice, it removes the sin from us forever, one time for all time. No more sacrifices have to be made. 
God's justice is given to Jesus on the cross when he stands in our place, stands in the place of our guilt, so that God's mercy could be given to us. And sin still matters. It doesn't become a light thing just because you've been forgiven by Jesus. There's still the heavy cost. It's just that your cost is paid by Jesus. For those who put their faith in him, who put their trust in him, that what he did on the cross is sufficient for me to forgive me, to make me clean, to set me free. And when you're forgiven by Jesus, you're actually forgiven. That's what he's saying in the psalm, that he's not gonna chide, he's not gonna keep his anger forever. Um, Some of you know what it's like to be forgiven, but not really forgiven, where someone says, I forgive you, and yet every time you annoy them or do something wrong, they bring it up again and again and again. It doesn't matter what you've done, if you've, you know, demonstrated your change and demonstrated remorse and done all the things they ask and they say that you're forgiven. If they keep bringing it up again and again and again and kind of use it against you, it's clear you're not really forgiven. The anger's still there, the hurt is still there, and they still want to make you pay. They don't feel satisfied that you've paid enough yet, and that doesn't feel good. Um, And listen, if that's you, if you're the person who struggles to actually forgive, I'm not going to say forgiveness is easy. I know it's not. But if you don't, if you don't work on that, you need to know that that is going to be poison in your relationships. It's never going to make things better. It's only going to make things worse. It's only going to make things break down more. It's not going to give you a a sense of, um, you know, resolution or healing. You you do need to take take a look at yourself. What does it actually take for me to forgive? And just total side note, forgiveness does not always mean, you know, reconciliation. Things have to go back exactly the way that they were before. But it does mean that you're not making them pay every single time you bring it up again and again and again. God is not... When you're forgiven, when, you're, when you put your faith in Jesus and you're forgiven, he's not holding on to a list of all your wrongs, all your sin, all your guilt, so that he can whack you with it every time you, you step out of line and you need to be anxious about it because you know he's holding it over your head. He's not. He is merciful. He's gracious. He forgives you. He loves you. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And David tells us this is for those who fear him. You know, this is the thing that, that I'll sometimes say, that, you know, the, the Christmas song got it wrong. Uh, you know, Santa knows we're all God's children. Santa's wrong. We're all God's creation, but we're all by our sin and rebellion against God. We've turned our back on him and broken our relationship with him, and that is only restored through faith in Jesus. We're all God's creation. All of us can become a child of God by turning to Jesus. We talked about uh, the fear of the Lord a little bit last week, so I'm not going to go all into it now, but the concept of the fear of the Lord in the Bible, it's not, um, it's not being afraid of what God might do to you or what he could do to you. It's more in line with, and you see this in the Psalms and the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is more in line with hating evil, so the things that God tells you is evil, seeing how those are bad and seeing how they Uh, bring brokenness and suffering in your life and in the world, hating evil and loving good, loving the things that God tells you is good, and trusting his word so that you can know the difference between what is good and what's evil and what's acceptable and what's not. 
is having your faith and your trust in him in such a way that it makes real change in your life. So it's not just saying like, you know, uh, saying I believe in Jesus, or like, yeah, when I was a kid, I went on a retreat, and I prayed a prayer, and I raised my hand, and I got baptized, or whatever it is. It's not just, just saying it or agreeing with it, but it's actually making a decision. It's surrendering your life to follow Jesus. Putting all your hope and all your trust in him, making him the treasure of your heart. In such a way that it, that it really changes you. So you go, you know, not my kingdom, not my plans for my life and the stuff that I want to do. God, your kingdom come. I want to build your kingdom. I want to be a part of the work that you're doing. Not my will be done, all the things, all the plans that I have or the way I think it should be. God, your will be done. Help me to, to sacrifice my will and, and, and go live for yours because, because I trust you. Because you're the God who gave himself for me. You're, you know, Jesus is the Savior who loved me. He gave himself for me. And I get all these, all these blessings, all these benefits in him, and, and I just, I, I want to live for Jesus. He's, he's a God of justice. He's full of mercy. Both those things at once. Finally, what uh, David moves on again into what God has prepared for us, what he has in store for us. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Here, David gets a little bit uh, reflective about the temporary nature of humanity that, you know, for all of us, our days are numbered, right? For all of us, we're, we're coming to an end. Temporary like the grass. The grass is here today, and it's gone tomorrow. It's not gone soon enough. I don't know how many more lawn mowings I have in me this year. It's, it's such a hot summer. I'm ready for fall. Let the grass die. Let's get to that part you know, and you get, you know, apples and pumpkins in football. There's nothing not to like in fall. If you don't like fall the best, you're wrong. Um, the point David's making, life is temporary. Everything in your life is temporary. Everything is going to fade away at some point. Um, I get the thought sometimes with, uh, you know, with my like Amelia will uh, will say a word wrong and it's really funny and really cute and I wonder like when's the last time she's gonna say it like that you know she's gonna find out eventually and uh, then yeah I won't hear that anymore or when's the last time I'm gonna give her a bath stuff like that uh, my uh, my older brother some of you know this my older brother and his family um, until recently they were making plans to move to utah they were in montana they were going to move to utah and kind of settle down there and uh anyways god rescued them from that and uh, brought them back to new jersey praise the lord and uh but when the plan was utah i remember having this thought like i wonder how many more times in my life i'm going to see him like, we'll make plans and we'll try to see each other, but is it like 50? Is it more than that, less than that? I don't know. All good things come to an end. Like, for you and me, 
all good things come to an end. With God, nothing good comes to an end. It only gets better. His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. His love for you is too everlasting. It's never going to end. Because if you're his, he's going to take you to be with him for eternity. There's this great scene in uh, The Last Battle. It's the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, where if you don't know the books, just you can kind of figure out where I'm going with this. Um, they're like, and so it's the very end. They're watching the destruction of Narnia, uh, like this apocalyptic thing. The world gets swallowed up into darkness, and then the door that they're standing behind closes. It's like, all right, it's all gone. Like the place that they had all their adventures, the place that they loved, it's been swallowed up into darkness, and it's, it's over. And then, and the characters are all dead at this point too. Um, and then they turn around, and behind them they see Narnia but even better than the one that they remember. Like, it's more real and more full and more vibrant and more beautiful, and, and it's better than the one that they remembered, even at its best. Everything they loved about, everything good, they get to enjoy that forever. And it's, I, I love the way that that series ends. It's totally worth reading. The steadfast love of the Lord lasts forever. It's, it's the love of God that created this world and everything good in it. It's his love that created you. It's his love that sent his son Jesus to forgive you and to redeem you. In having a relationship with God through faith, you have this eternal hope that it, it's not coming to an end. Death is not the end. Jesus is the end, and Jesus is eternal. And that's where some of the things that we saw in the table of contents in the beginning of the psalm, uh, the benefits that we receive, that we really receive them when we go to be with him. Things like, you know, he heals you. Like, you're, you're perfectly healed and renewed when you're with him. Uh, he redeems your life from the pit. Your youth is renewed like eagles. Like, that's where you, you get the fullness of all those things. And that's why I love this promise that Jesus makes in John 14. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for you and he'll take you to be there with him. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting in him. Good things don't come to an end. They only get better. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to, to wrap your mind around, but Jesus is the one who's resurrected from death. Death isn't the end for Jesus. And death is not the end for those who love him. Finally, let's see how David ends this psalm. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
more than just himself, more than just wanting himself to get to this place where he loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. David wants to see that everywhere. He wants to see it in everyone, from, from his angels and his ministers to all his works, all his creation. He wants everyone to bless the Lord because David knows God is worthy of that. He's the creator. He's the source of every good thing. He's full of justice. His compassion, he cares for, for those that, that the world doesn't care about, that people don't care about, God cares, he, he loves. He's full of mercy. He makes a way for you to be forgiven, to have peace with God, to be reconciled to him. He's preparing an eternal place for you at his side where he will make all things new. As I said, God makes, if love is primarily a decision, he makes the decision to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He makes it as easy as you could possibly make it by being as good as you could possibly hope for, even better than you could hope for. No one loves you like God loves you. No one forgives like he forgives. No one is that gracious. No one's that fair. No one is able to offer you something better than eternity. If you've never made that decision before, make it today. What's stopping you from, from making it today? What, what is the obstacle in your path? What is the thing that you need to work through? Today, would you try, would you try to open your eyes and see all of the benefits, all of the blessings, all of the gifts that he gives? He gives all those things, and even though we've lived in such a way that we, uh, we, we say, God, I'll take all the stuff that you've made, but I don't really want anything to do with you. I don't really care what you have to say about this. I'm going to make my own path, my own decisions, and turn our back. Even though we do that, he still sends his son Jesus, and he makes a way for us to be forgiven. He offers us grace and mercy freely as a gift. I know love is primarily a decision, but it doesn't mean that the feelings are not involved with it in, in any measure, in any way. Do you feel like your heart is being stirred up at all in recognition of how good he is, how worthy he is, how beautiful he is, how much he's done for you? Would you make a decision to, to turn to him Say, I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give myself for you. And if you have made that decision, and, and maybe you're at a place where, you know, you continue to make that decision, and that's great, but you just feel like you're, you're distant, and you don't feel the level of passion and excitement and zeal that you once did, and, and maybe that's just the season that you're in, I, I hope that you'd keep making that decision. I hope that you'd, you'd look and see what David does. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. This is something that's important to us. This is something that I want to make sure is happening. And that you'd turn to him and see as much of him as you can, as much of his goodness, as much of his beauty, as much of his worthiness. And as you make those decisions, I do believe that those feelings do follow. 
Let me pray for us.